Hello and welcome to NFL First and Gold, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Eric Allen, the former NFL cornerback. On today's podcast, we'll focus on the key matchups across the league, spotlighting the critical divisional game between the Dolphins and the Patriots with Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio. But let's kick off the podcast with our NFL insider. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, you're reporting the Steelers are actively trying to trade Le'Veon Bell. What are they asking for potentially in return? And my understanding is they're asking for a second-round pick and a player, uh, which is, by the way, a, a lot for any trade. And actually, we rarely see trades for that much compensation. And, you know, of course, Le'Veon Bell is a great player, so... On one hand, if you're going to give up on a uh, Pro Bowl running back, you really have to get something like that uh, in return. On the other hand, you know, just based on the CBA rules, it is incredibly difficult for the Steelers to actually do that because if you think about it, it's you know ten million dollars against a new team's cap, so someone has to actually have room for that and. By rule, the new team is not even allowed to negotiate a long-term contract with Bell, so they'd be theoretically trading a second-round pick and a player for a player in Le'Veon Bell who could end up being a one-year rental, and they're not even allowed to negotiate with him, so it, they really don't have a choice with as far as that's concerned. Um, certainly not impossible, um, but a very hard trade to do, really hard. Uh, next question would be, what are the teams? <laughs> who, who out there has uh, the players, the resources to be able to bring him in? Well, and that's another problem because there are some teams that have more than $10 million um, in salary cap space. And, of course, you know, the longer we wait, um, the less money Le'Veon Bell makes because based on his contract, he gets paid Basically, per week, he hasn't shown up yet. He hasn't earned any money. So it gets more and more palatable as we go on. But the amount of good teams that he would want to go to, that he would accept to trade to, who have salary cap space and are willing to allocate $8 million for half a year of a running back, there's just not a lot of them. I mean, that's the problem. It's like, you know... Like, is a team like, let's say, New England going to do it? Well, they spent a first-rounder on a pick. Seattle, they spent a first-rounder on a running back, too. Houston, not interested. I mean, there's just there's not a lot of teams that would actually fit the bill of where sort of the perfect storm would happen and they could do a trade. He's Eric Allen. I'm Brian Weber taking you across the league with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Be sure to check out Ian's new podcast, Rap Sheet and Friends. It's terrific. You can listen to it right here on TuneIn. And we know that Tyler Eifert of the Bengals has dealt with injuries in the past, went down again today in Atlanta. This appeared to be in real time a pretty gruesome injury. What can you tell us? Yeah, and, and you know, anytime you see a player like Eifert laying on the field with his ankle bent the wrong way, it looks like a dislocation. The card came out quickly, and, you know, immediately the thought goes to this is a serious season ending injury. We don't know that for sure, but certainly. That is what it looks like. And, you know, for Eifert, it's devastating because he's dealt with a back injury. He's had several back operations, missed most of the year last year, signed a one-year prove-it deal with Cincinnati, and then goes out and, you know, it looks like dislocates his ankle. You do have to wonder, if, first of all, if that's the season, and second of all, how much longer he's going to put his body through this. That's a legitimate question. Yeah, no doubt. That's so unfortunate for him. Let's go to New England. Uh, at 
the whole week, people were you know kind of throwing uh, <laughs> dirt on the on the grave of, of this football team. But again, once, once they kind of get into this week when they can prepare, right, and then break the opponent down, particularly Miami Dolphins had great success. What are we looking at right now with today's performance, and then next week when Julian Edelman gets back? And I don't mean to laugh, but. It's amazing what happens. You know, the Patriots lose lose a couple games. Don't look great on national TV, certainly. And then it's like everyone sort of wonders, is the dynasty dead? And you know that Belichick takes all of that, reads all of it, shows all of it to, all of it to his players, and they go out and have a dominating performance like today. And, and you know, it, it was there were a lot of questions either way. I mean, we, you know, is Gronk really that effective? You know, Mike Lombardi made some headlines by saying, you know, Belichick confidant saying that Gronk isn't as quick. Well, then they go out and he has a great game. They have a great game. I mean, you know, this is what it's like. New England spends September figuring out what works. And by the time they're done, they're usually two and two and, you know, poised to do what they do every single year. Chatting with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. The Bears destroyed the Buccaneers, and it wasn't entirely the fault of Ryan Fitzpatrick because he wasn't playing defense. Mitchell Trubisky had five touchdown passes in the first half, finished with a half dozen, but Fitzpatrick quickly benched to start the second half. Tampa Bay heading into a bye week. Ian, what do you think they do at quarterback in two weeks? Yeah, it, it looks like they're going to make a change. and you know, uh, it, it was not surprising to hear Dirk Cutter say that Jameis Winston probably did enough to earn the start. I mean, this is the way it was. This was the way it was heading. And, you know, one of the things I talked about in our pregame show today was in a team meeting, Dirk Cutter actually brought up pulling Fitzpatrick in favor of Ryan Griffin during the Monday night game. He brought that up to his team in front of the players. They knew which way this was headed. And, you know, the fact that Jameis is is probably going to start coming out of the bye, I don't think will shock anyone. Wow. Last one for me. Uh, Tennessee, that was a huge win today. And, uh, again, they make you play old-school football. They're going to force you to run the football, play good defense. Talk to us about how this Tennessee football team was able to beat uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, it's incredible because you could watch their games and decide that they're not a great team. And, And maybe they're not. You know, but they haven't had their starting quarterback certainly healthy in the last three games. He's played in a couple of them, still trying to get feeling back in his fingers. Um, you know, they they used a couple penalties in the last drive today that that helped, but they're three and one. And you know, if you told me that Mike Vrabel, first time head coach, never been a coach before, still really young in coaching, just in general, forget about being a head coach, would play with either an injured quarterback or without a starting quarterback for three of the first four games, and they're 3-1, and one, I would say this is a tough team. They run the ball, they play defense, they hit, uh, and they try not to screw up that much. Um, it is an odd mix, but I, maybe we have to start talking, them, talking about them as a good team. Finally, Ian, Cordell Stewart will always be a part of the TuneIn family. Is Taysom Hill of the Saints the new Slash? How is his role about? <laughs> Man, of course, Cordell is, is great and, and, you know, sort of invented the Slash position. I'm not sure he did as many things as Taysom Hill did. I mean, <laughs> the fake punt, um, he can still throw it. He is a core special teamer for the Saints. Uh, at one point, you know, they thought he is a potential quarterback for the future there. It is so fun to see a football coach like Sean Payton open his mind and say, you know what, I'm just going to take this talented player and do a lot of fun things. And it's so awesome to see. And, you know, they really have done a great job in just saying, all right, 
here's a great football player. Let's use him in situations and we'll worry about anything else afterward. And it's really, really fun to see. Ian, always a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll chat with you next week on the NFL on TuneIn. All right. Thanks, guys. We roll on on NFL First and Goal, the podcast, taking you around the league with Darren Woodson of ESPN Radio, the former Cowboys safety. Now let's take you around the league with a three-time Super Bowl champion, Darren Woodson of ESPN, former Cowboys safety, and like Eric, a proud Arizona State alum. Darren, thanks for taking the time. How are you today? I'm doing great. How you guys doing? Doing good, D, and soon-to-be Hall of Famer, hopefully. Darren Woodson played uh, so many positions, very versatile out there for the Dallas Cowboys back in the day. D, the first one to talk to you about uh, what everybody's talking about, Prescott. I mean, is he the... Is he the franchise quarterback for this football team? Is he the guy that's going to continue to play at a high level for the Cowboys? Yeah, well, look, I think, you know, <laughs> that depends on which week you see him and, and during, the, you know, during the season. And you see him watching last week against Seattle, and they looked terrible. And Dak didn't play well as, as well. I, I, EAs, you can hear my little boys over here. That's all right. <laughs> it's a family, family show. Affair here on the NFL, <laughs> too. Football and family, Derek. <laughs> Yeah, but we, uh, you know, watching this game today, you see the Dak that everybody expected. The guy that could get out of the pocket and be mobile. He drove the ball down the field. He was accurate for the most part. And and that's the guy that they expected. That's the guy they had when they went 13-3, when he replaced Romo that year. So I think there's a lot a lot of expectation for him. He just hadn't played up the part uh, you know, for, the, for the last you know year and a half, actually. Taking you across the league with Darren Woodson of ESPN, Dallas outlasting Detroit. Cowboys now 2-2. Two and two. And Darren, we're not trying to get anybody fired. We know how challenging that can be in sports media, but football is a bottom-line oriented business. What do you think Jason Garrett has to do to keep this job moving forward? Because you know Dallas has underachieved in recent years. You know, it's, it, that's a good question because, you know, they they've Overachieved at times and underachieved, you know, when they when they've been talent laden and under Jason Garrett. So, you know, I, that remains to be seen. I don't know what the button is, what the hot button is for the Cowboys, Jerry Jones. You know, you would think that he'd have to, you know, Jason Garrett would have to get this team at least into the playoffs to have some type of job security. But you know, that's that's up to Jerry. Jerry is forever the optimist, and as you well know, you know, that's what he's been known for is being optimistic about. You know, the next year uh, after failure. So that, that's pretty much been that, that decision come down from Jerry. Yeah. Uh, the hot button the last couple of weeks is defensively, how do you tackle the quarterback? How do you play this game? Yeah. Uh, Darren, you're, you're a smart guy. How, how would you go about attacking the ball carrier if you're playing right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's, you know you're seeing Bob Miller who basically said, listen, I don't go for the sack, I go for the ball. And that's pretty much what it came to comes to now, especially as a pass rusher. You know, the thing is, there's two two reasons why it's so hard to you know to rush the, the passer now. And that's you know, if you're a guy that's aggressive, like Clay, Clay Matthews makes a tackle, you know, it's instantly a 15 yard you know penalty. So, I mean, I, I look at the situation as look, they're going to have to call the game the right way, whether refs are, and you're going to have to know which which refs are going to be at that game and defending that game. But I think they're all going to call it a little differently. You know, the, the, for me, the unnecessary roughness is just, it's, yeah. you know, it's tough to sit here and watch it because, you know, that's not how the game's been played in the, in the past. Chatting sure. with Darren Woodson, the former Cowboy great. 
Darren, I guess the Patriots are just fine after destroying Miami 38-7. But heading into that matchup, did you think New England was dealing with substantial issues? Uh, yeah, I think they get a lot of fundamental issues, you know, for that for the Patriots. Is basically on the defense side of the ball, they just, you know, they, they they've always been a, a fundamentally sound defense. If they've been missing tackles, out of line, out of you know, out of gap, so it's a totally different team uh, than what we're accustomed to seeing. But you know, they go up against the Miami Dolphins, and you know, we talked about it this week on the, on ESPN NFL Live about Tannehill going 0 and 5 and open 0 and 5 Foxborough. So it's uh you know, it doesn't surprise me that the, the Patriots got back on track uh, after this horrible start, but uh, it seems like they were back, you know, getting on all cylinders. Here with Darren Woodson, uh, legend for the Dallas Cowboys. And there are some similarities, and only maybe three or four teams that can really uh, have these similarities. You guys, 49ers, uh, those great dynasties. Talk to us a little bit about how difficult is it to remain you know, that team to beat like the Patriots are. And when you go through some struggles and you guys went back to back and then the next year you guys didn't win and then you come back. Talk to us a little about locker room relationship yeah. struggles. Talk to us a little bit about what the Patriots are dealing with with that issue. And that's what's been so spectacular about, you know, this, this reign at this time with free agency, you know, how they've been the most dominant football team is, it speaks directly to the character of the organization, whether it be, you know, Belichick and, you know, Tom Brady being the, the, the quarterback. I mean, to, to just get back in, in that same mode every year and having that, you know, that grind. And, you know, you're playing the most games. You know, watch, look at, you know, Patriots in, in the past. They've, they played more games getting into the playoffs, Super Bowl. It's just, you know, it, it's hard to maintain that, that identity and that, and that confidence in yourself to, you know, continue to grind. And, and, and it's just spectacular. And I think it's it a lot of it. You know, you, got, you get the guys with the, with the same mindset. You try to draft that type of player. You get a guy like Tom Brady, who's the pillar of that organization, shows up every day with his lunch pail. I mean, people will follow that. And, and I think it speaks volumes to who, who Tom Brady is, you know, for doing it this long and being that pillar for a success for this organization. Darren, last one for me, because Eric shined in Philadelphia. He was living and dying with every moment of that tremendous overtime game between the Eagles and the Titans. Did that game today tell you more about Philly or Tennessee? I think it tells you a lot about Tennessee because Tennessee was out of that game early. It was 17-3, to and it looked like they were about to, on the verge of getting blown out. And, you know, you've got to say, you know, you got to speak volumes to, you know, who, who the, the Titans are because, you know, Mariota's been banged up his first game back. And this team fought. I mean, they, they fought tooth and nail. And I think we're starting to see the identity of, of Mike Vrabel, the head coach, because that's exactly, you know, the type of person he is. He, he's just, you know, he's a fighter. And you're starting to see that in his team. Darren, we really appreciate you taking the time. And thank you for being father of the year. We love <laughs> children here on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks for multitasking and joining us today. All right. Great great talking to you, D, man. Take care of yourself. And you're going to be in the Hall of Fame, my man. Three Super Bowl yeah, rings those, and those all those interceptions. Time, <laughs> thank you, Darren. Thanks, bro. We continue on NFL First and Goal, the podcast. Now let's break down the matchup between the Buccaneers and the Bears with Super Bowl champion Tom Thayer, game analyst for the Bears Radio Network, WBBM News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM Chicago.
Now let's recap Chicago's dominant 48-10 victory over Tampa Bay with the Super Bowl champions. Tom Thayer, game analyst for the Bears Radio Network. That's WBBM News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM in Chicago. Tom, we appreciate you taking the time. What did you make of Mitchell Trubisky's historic game with six touchdown passes? Well, you know, I, I can't say the Bears expected this because he's faced a couple difficult weeks at the podium because of his last few performances. And some of the media members have been pretty rough on him, either decisions versus blitzes or obvious open receivers that he's missed in one way or the other. But everything that Mitch has done poorly at up until this point, he did really well at today. It was the right decisions. It was the right plays called by Matt Nagy. In the first 16, they had eight passes and eight runs, and they were able to keep Tampa Bay off balance. So um, I, everybody understood that it was going to be a process for Mitchell Trubisky to understand the terminology of this offense and then being able to make use of it in some difficult situations so far, Green Bay in Green Bay and in Arizona, but it was more of a Bears crowd. But I think this was a breakout game that they were looking for I now I hope they don't think that it's going to continue at this type of record-setting pace. Well, I was really impressed by the formations. I mean, just a lot of bunch routes, and he had to be patient to be able to hit the receivers as they were coming open and had to anticipate a lot of his throws. I really liked the way he was way uh, offensively. They gave kind of gave him a nice look. Is that something that you see that's going to go forward, or is that just something that just happened because of the defense of the Buccaneers wasn't very good today? You know, Eric, the, the personnel of the Bears is kind of unique in the fact that they can go to the line of scrimmage in a formation, and then they can break off, and you can have Taylor Gabriel, and you can have Tariq Cohen, and you can have uh, Trey Burton, and you can have Allen Robinson and, and other guys, you know, the Jordan Howard and, and Kevin White and so on and so forth. But when you have those groups of wep- weapons, and then you can put them out there at the line of scrimmage, you're not going to have matchups for guys like Tariq Cohen and Taylor Gabriel and Trey Burton when they're at the line of scrimmage. And if they want to try to take Allen Robinson out of it, which has been most of the attempts since he was targeted 12 times in the Green Bay game and caught 11 of them, something like that. So then it's about who else can Mitch go to. And he didn't really prove that he had those capabilities in Arizona. But, man, you put the pressure on him a week later, the scheme that devised by Matt Nagy and then kind of filtered through the eyes of Mitchell Trubisky, it was an effect, It was effective, and he seemed like a completely different player than he was seven days ago in Arizona. We are spotlighting the 3-1 Chicago Bears with Tom Thayer, game analyst for the Bears Radio Network. And, Tom, to amplify your last answer, how has new head coach Matt Nagy already changed the offensive outlook for this team year one with his creative play calling? You know, last year the Bears season concluded with no hope and a lot of anger amongst the Bears fan just because they had an unimaginative and unproductive um, offense. And then when Ryan Pace started to bring in some weapons like I just mentioned, and then Matt Nagy understood when he took this job that he had a quarterback that was all in. He was fully committed to anything you ever asked of him, to put in the early hours, to put in the late hours to put in some office time that maybe is putting your own personal time, you know, at, at, as, at as an expense. So everything that Matt Nagy knew he was getting into when he took the head coaching job here was, I think, a super positive reflection that he got from Mitchell Trubisky 
and the commitment. So that's what you needed to have. And then, oh, by the way, at the end of the preseason, Ryan Pace drops Khalil Mack in your lap. And so right there, they went there. I don't know if they really had hope to go out there and win the division with Aaron Rodgers here and a strong Minnesota team, but I do think that sped up the expectations of the Bears fans by almost a year. Yeah. Some teams and organizations uh, are known for offensive you know, philosophies. We all know the Bears are all about defense. And, and talk to – Khalil Mack is great. He'd have been great wherever uh, he would have played. But talk to us about how the other players on defense kind of have risen up and really uh, played at a really high level because of what Khalil Mack is all about. You know, he came in with immediate respect, and then he was able to take on the leadership role of that team, and it meant a lot to these players. Because what he can do for a guy like um, Leonard, you know, they drafted him a couple years ago, uh, Leonard Floyd, they drafted him a couple years ago out of Georgia. And I guess he was, I guess to the Bears fans, he was an underwhelming performer, but also now Khalil has been able to ignite a a little bit in him. And because Khalil doesn't only rush exclusively from one side, and neither does Leonard Floyd, and then you have Aaron Lynch here that's got a little bit of past history with Vic Fangio, the defensive coordinator, and then it kind of spills inside to Akeem Hicks and Eddie Goldman and Jonathan Bullard, Roy Robertson, Harris, and those guys. And so it's as much attention as they have to pay to where Khalil Mack is. He's not always going to line up in the same spot. But as soon as they try to adjust the protection to him, it sets it gives someone else an opportunity. It sets somebody free. They got Bilal Nichols, who they drafted this year, I think in the sixth or seventh round out of Delaware, I believe. And he's got a limited opportunity. Now he gets involved in a game with Khalil Mack at his side. He makes um, a big, huge tackle for loss last week in Arizona that helped solidify the game. And then he makes a tackle for loss and a sack on back-to-back plays today is because they got to focus the attention of the protection of Quill Mack, and now these guys on the inside are getting one-on-ones that are winnable even against a three-step drop. Tom, always a pleasure. We know it was a long broadcast day for you, so we really appreciate you taking the time to join us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Next, on NFL First and Gold, the podcast, we're joined by Mike Golick, Jr. of ESPN Radio. Let's take you around the league with Mike Golick, Jr. of ESPN Radio. Check him out on his show, First and Last, weekdays, 4 a.m. Eastern. And then, of course, he's a feature contributor on Golick and Wingo as well. Mike, we appreciate you taking the time. Fair to say that reports of the Patriots' demise were greatly exaggerated. They look pretty good today in that beatdown over Miami. Yeah, I have to give uh, my colleague and former Patriot linebacker Teddy Bruschi credit for the ultimate burn and analysis of this game on Twitter when he tweeted out, this is the Dolphins team I'm used to seeing in Foxborough. I'm still trying to recover from that. I have a feeling Dolphins fans are still trying to recover. But this was about what we expected from New England, and I think the more impressive side of it was defensively, since we know the offense is about to get a very natural boost when Julian Edelman comes back to erase a lot of their third down woes. Uh, defensively, they have had their issues, the Patriots. If we go back and, and just look at personnel-wise, the first three weeks of the season, the last three or four years, they've really struggled. How are they able to kind of get back on that horse today outside of it's just the Dolphins? As far as scheme-wise, what did we see differently today from the Patriots? 
I thought they did a better job of manufacturing pressure up front. You look, they were able to make Ryan Tannehill pretty uncomfortable throughout the day. That Dolphins offensive line looked pretty overwhelmed, and that's a group that certainly got some new faces around there. But through the early portion of the season, had been able to give their quarterback a chance. And today it just never seemed like he was comfortable back there in the pocket. And it made a lot easier for a Patriots secondary that had been struggling, a Patriots linebacking core that in prior weeks had looked really slow and unathletic. I mean, you go back to that Lions loss for New England and Matt Patricia, their former defensive coordinator, who knew the strengths and weaknesses of that unit about as well as anybody, was absolutely carving up the middle of the field on that defensive unit. And I think the pressure up front kind of helped take a lot of that off of them today taking your calls to league with mike golick jr of espn radio mike it's hot take central here on the nfl on tune in cincinnati three and one andy dalton the hero on the road in atlanta engineering that brilliant drive in the closing seconds is this the year that dalton and marvin lewis finally win a playoff game You know what? It's so funny that as soon as you said it's a hot take zone, I immediately thought of the Cincinnati Bengals. (laughs) This is a good football team. It is terrifying to actually think about it because I know we're all getting conned and it's going to end up being the same old thing. But if you're asking me right now, I could absolutely see this team winning a playoff game. And we see with Andy Dalton, Andy Dalton to me is the meat of the bell curve in the NFL when it comes to quarterbacks. You have guys that tend to slump and underperform in the years where a lot of their marquee talent is hurt and the guys around them aren't as quite up to par. And this year we're seeing the best version of A.J. Green that we've seen in a while. We're seeing Tyler Boyd, their pick for, uh, their draft pick from Pittsburgh from a couple of years ago, starting to really perform well in there. You're seeing Mixon, Giovanni Bernard, these running back groups, and everyone around them start to pick it up. And it's amazing how much it does for our opinions of these quarterbacks. And through the first quarter of the season, Cincinnati has looked legit. Like, it doesn't seem to be smoke and mirrors with this. Let's stay in the AFC. How big today, crucial win by the Houston Texans, how big was that win today? You know, speaking about the defense and the quarterback uh, coming into the season, we had so many high hopes about what Deshaun was going to be able to do. Talk to us a little bit about how big a win that was for the Houston Texans. Yeah, I think seeing Deshaun upright for as much of today as we did, we know he's the guy who holds the ball longer than anyone in the league, but managed to turn that into meaningful yards for this offense. And on the defensive side, I think the best thing you can say about the recent trend for the Texans is what you've seen out of J.J. Watt. I think it's five sacks in the last two games for a guy that we were starting to look at and wonder, all right, had all the injuries finally started to add up? Because we know this has been a football team led by the defense for the longest time now as they went through this quarterback carousel. So I think for Deshaun Watson to getting back to normal and making some of these plays and getting into that rhythm because it had been a struggle through the first three games of the season for an offense that was humming with him under center last year. So between the positives for them and the negative for Frank Reich and the Uh, 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 Colts play callers at the end of overtime there. You've got some big storylines coming out of that one. Mike, it was great to meet you on Radio Row at the Super Bowl in Minnesota, and we appreciate you taking the time to join us again today here on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks for having me, guys. This is NFL First and Gold, the podcast. Now let's focus on the game between the Dolphins and the Patriots with Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio. Now let's recap the Patriots' comprehensive win over Miami. 38-7 38-7 with our good friend Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio. Andy, a lot to like from New England's perspective today. What stood out to you? I thought it was the trenches. The offensive and defensive line, you saw Sony Michelle have a lot of success running the ball. That's because the offensive line was good and, and owned the line of scrimmage. And then 
On the flip side, a run defense that's been pretty putrid uh, made Miami one-dimensional right from the get-go. They never let uh, Frank Gore or Kenyon Drake get going, and I thought that's what everything else emanated from, the passing game on offense, and then the good pass defense on defense was a lot of third and long. So I thought the Patriots won the line of scrimmage, and that's how they won the game. You wouldn't know the Patriots at at this point. It's all about matchups and game management, uh, uh, situational football. Is this a case of, hey, we have your number, Miami Dolphins, and we're going to continue to see some of these struggles like we saw in the first couple of weeks? Or has this been a, a huge turnaround for the Patriots and we're going to see this team kind of shoot off to the stars like we usually do? Yeah, I'm not quite ready to say that. Um, I thought this was a step in the right direction. I thought this was a win they needed. Um, you certainly didn't want to fall to one and three looking up at, a, at an undefeated Dolphins team in the division. But, yeah, there was a little bit of a statement here from the Patriots that, you know, don't bury us just yet. We're not dead. And I think a little bit of a negative statement for the Dolphins that they weren't ready to come in Foxborough and assert themselves as the team to beat in the AFC East. But, you know, the Patriots still have some, some uh, questions to answer in the passing game and finding consistency there. They still were a little slow to get going there today now Julian Edelman comes back this week I think that's a big boost for the offense but you know there's some games on the horizon the Chiefs in a couple weeks I think you'll start to learn more about this team but first and foremost they needed to win they needed to feel good about themselves moving forward spotlighting the Patriots with Andy Hart from Patriots.com radio Josh Gordon a pair of receptions in his New England debut Andy if Josh Gordon can keep his personal life in order what could he mean to this offense I think it's huge because, as I just mentioned, you get Edelman back in the slot. That's a key part of this team. You have Gronkowski, although he left with an ankle injury today. We'll see where that goes. And then you add that outside receiver who can get down the field and really allow them to spread the, the field out horizontally and vertically. And we know Brady reads it as well as anyone horizontally, but if you can get him vertically where he has a guy where he can just throw the ball up and say, my guy is going to outjump your guy, sort of a new spin on the getting mossed, get some teams to get Gordon to down the field. I think that's a huge boon. And I also think you mix him in with Sony Michelle. That just diversifies the offense. But, you know, I think we're putting the card a little bit before the horse. This is one of the most uh, unreliable men in football over the last five years or so. Nice, quiet start today. But we need to see where this goes in the coming weeks. Yeah, for sure. What about that defense? I mean, so much has been uh, uh, talked about. They're, they're not as great. Last year's Super Bowl uh, – Gave Philadelphia Eagles great opportunities to make some make some runs. Where's this defense right now? Well, you know, today it obviously looked a lot better, and I, you know, I give them credit. The run defense was great up front. You make Miami one dimensional, and they don't have a lot of great weapons. Tannehill wasn't great today, but he didn't really have many windows to throw into. They had really tight coverage. Um, Eric Rowe was out. That allowed J.C. Jackson, an undrafted rookie, to play, and he he played pretty well. He ended up with an interception. Uh, but I think there's still questions about the back-end speed. If you challenge them with uh, weapons on the other side of the ball that are a little more productive, a little more dangerous than what Miami brings, um, can they meet that? You know, they, they've let a lot of guys run free through the first three games. They didn't do that today. But is that, you know, a one-game aberration, or is that who they are moving forward? As I said, I think that'll be answered in the coming weeks. You look at a team like Kansas City, with what Mahomes has done um, and the weapons with Hill and Watkins and Kelsey that they bring to the field, you know, is New England ready for that challenge? We'll find out in a couple of weeks. But uh, again, right now, all you can do is get better. That's what Bill Belichick preaches. That's their whole September motto. Uh, and they got better today, and, and now they're looking to get into October and continue that moving forward on a positive trend. Andy, let's wrap it up with the return of Julian Edelman. How much do you think he's going to change the outlook of this offense when he comes back from the suspension starting tomorrow? 
Huge. Um, and even if just the placebo effect, you know, he's Tom Brady's guy. As much as Gronk is a huge weapon, uh, in terms of a security blanket, blanket, it's Julian Edelman. And we see it sometimes on the practice field and training camp. You know, Brady will throw two or three incompletions in a row. You know for a fact the next throw is a quick throw in the slot to Julian Edelman to just sort of break the streak, get something positive going. So, you know, a week ago they went three and out three times to start the game against the Lions. I don't believe that happens if Julian Edelman is on the field because when Brady is a little stressed, he goes to that guy in the slot. Also, you know, when he's under a little pressure, he got banged around a little bit today. Um, that's when he just knows where Edelman's going to be, trusts him ultimately to just throw it to him and give him a chance. So I think it's huge. Now we'll see what Edelman is because not only is he suspended, but we forget he's coming off an ACL at the age of 32. But even just the placebo effect to me will be a positive for Tom Brady. Andy, as always, we value the information. Thanks for joining us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. No problem. Anytime, Brian. Andy Hart, Patriots.com Radio. Let's close out NFL First and Goal, the podcast, with the intersection of football and physics. It's time for the Playing with Science Checkdown, where science and sports collide. And for that, let's say hello to our good friends Chuck Nice and Dr. Eric Goff. We're going to dissect this play coming up. Matt Ryan connecting with Calvin Ridley for their second touchdown of the game today in Atlanta. Ridley has accounted for five touchdowns the last two weeks. Guys, take us through that play. Hey, Brian, how are you, man? Good to be with you again this season. And, of course, as you said, Ridley, what a beast he has been uh, in the last couple of games. And uh, Dr. Eric Goff, why don't you take us through exactly what happened? Sure, Chuck. With first and 10 at the Bengals' 30-yard line, the Falcons snapped the ball from the right hash. Calvin Ridley was lined up on the far right side of the line, just inside the big 30 on the turf. Falcons quarterback Matt Ryan had perfect pocket protection and had the pleasure of watching his rookie ride receiver, Juke, Bengals quarterback, Dre Kirkpatrick. Ridley ran about three and a half yards and then juked hard toward the right sideline. Kirkpatrick then got schooled by Isaac Newton. When he bit on the juke, his momentum was toward the sideline. He needed a big force to stop that momentum and turn him back toward Ridley, who was already running toward the end zone. Timing was perfect as Ryan fired the ball at about 50 miles an hour, nearly 30 degrees above the horizontal. Ridley was on the 20-yard line when Ryan threw the ball and then caught the pass on the fly at the 5-yard line. Ryan knew his receiver's speed as he aimed for a spot 15 yards in front of Ridley. Ridley didn't have to sprint. He hit about 18 miles per hour in getting to the ball. No Bengal was within 6 yards of him when he got caught it. Chuck? Isaac Newton helped us understand how Mars and Venus go around the sun. He also helped us understand how Ridley ran around Kirkpatrick on his way to the end zone. Absolutely, and there you have it. Momentum, normally a good thing in a game unless you're getting an Isaac Newton smackdown by physics. Chuck, you love a good moniker like I do. We're old school. Calvin Ridley has a touchdown machine. Can we call him the Riddler now of the Falcons? Oh, my God. Well, really me this, Brian? Why wouldn't we? <laughs> now, you want to go Frank Gorshin or Jim Carrey? You know, Who's the better Riddler? You, come on, Brian. You know I'm going Frank Gorshin. You know it. The man of a thousand voices. Fellas, you're the best. We'll talk to you next week. All right. That was the Playing With Science Checkdown. Make sure to check out the Playing With Science podcast with new episodes premiering one week early. All free, only on TuneIn.